0: This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. So if you want to turn in your Bibles and follow along, Acts 10, 1 through 16. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven.
1: Thank you, Courtney. All right, this morning, I want to start by talking about faith. Faith, trusting in God. Faith, believing faith. Faith is essential to Christianity. Faith is as essential to Christianity as taco shells are to tacos. I know it sounds like a bad illustration, but just follow me for a minute, okay? Uh, if you have anything else besides taco shells, you don't got tacos, Right? So if you have tortilla chips, you don't have tacos, what do you have? You have nachos. If you have sa- uh, um, I'll just give you the answer. If you have lettuce, what do you have? You have salad. Okay, taco salad. All that is, is is salad trying to be cool and be like tacos. But still, at the end of the day, it's just salad. Without sh Okay, maybe not a fantastic illustration, but let me just pull it around to say, without faith, without faith, without the foundation... Of trusting Jesus Christ who died for your sin and who rose again without faith in Jesus, you have no Christianity, no true Christianity. You need faith. You need faith to begin your journey, your walk with Jesus. And you need faith all throughout. And there are times, and we're going to see this several times today, when there are statements in God's word that are just hard to reconcile. And what reconciles those things is a faith in God. Maybe that we can't see it all, but God sees above that. And I think this story really illustrates a couple of key truths that might seemingly be contradictory, but faith bridges the gap. So we're in Acts chapter 10, and this is such a key event. What's happening in Acts chapter 10 is the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. And God brings the gospel now to those who weren't Jews. So up to this point, lots of people have been saved. The vast majority have been Jewish people. But now God is going to bring the gospel message to Gentiles, and they're going to believe it. And I think that as I was reading and studying and asking, God, what is the point of this story? I think it's really clear, and it becomes the big idea of the day. Write this down. God wants to save everyone. God wants to save everyone. Now, if that's a little bristly this morning, I, I want to share this verse to kind of really back that up and say it as clearly as I can. Here, 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that, church, what does it say? But that all should reach repentance. No, I have not lost my Calvinistic foundation. Don't get all nervous about that. But there's a truth that we have to understand, and that is... God wants to save everyone. Now, here are these truths that when you study this text kind of come to light that might be seemingly contradictory, but I want to lay them before you this morning. Here's truth number one. Write it down. Christianity is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive. Or the gospel is exclusive. So this incredible story of Cornelius coming to faith and his family and Peter preaching the gospel and the Holy Spirit coming, we're going to unpack all of that next week. This is all set up with two visions. Paul gives Cornelius a vision and Paul gives Peter a vision. As I was studying, trying to ask God, how can I package this in the right way? Well, I just asked a simple question. God, why did you give Cornelius a vision? And why did you give Peter a vision? And the answer to those questions really became the outline. And so let's take a look at this uh, vision of Cornelius in Acts chapter ten, starting in verse number one. Acts ten one. I'm going to read all the way through verse eight. So follow along if you would. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. Just pause there for a moment. So a centurion means that he was a soldier, and he oversaw about a hundred men. Well, a hundred men. That's what a centurion means. And and uh, this uh, particular uh, uh, men, this group of men, this cohort was called the Italian cohort, probably because their roots were in Italy, but now they're in Caesarea. The important thing, though, comes in verse number two, where it says here, follow along here, he was a devout man who feared God with all this household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Isn't that an awesome list? Wouldn't that be great to have that said about us? we were devout. The word devout. So Cornelius was a devout man. That word devout literally means that he was pious or religious. The idea is he did the things he was supposed to do. He was very disciplined in his walk. So he read his Bible and he prayed and he went to church and he probably did family devos and he did all the all the things he was supposed to do. He was a devout, religious man. Not only that, it says that he was a God-fearing man. A God-fearing man. That, that means that he understood that there is a God who is incredible and amazing and powerful. And a God to be feared. A God to be in awe of. A God that demanded my all. That's what he believed. And he led his household to believe that as well. The Bible says he was a generous man which means he, he Texas, he gave to all people. He was just very, very generous. And that society needed that kind of generosity. They didn't have the programs we have today to help those who are in need. And it just came from people being generous and he was generous to all people. He gave to all people. And he was praying, man. In fact, the Bible says here that he prayed at all times, a continuous prayer, a conversation between him and God. And I would love to be that good at all of this. I'd love those things to be said about me. And I think that if Cornelius is your neighbor and you're observing all this, wouldn't you be like, yeah, that dude saved for sure he is. Look at all the things that he does. He's for sure okay with God. He's for sure good with God. Probably not gonna go on my neighbor outreach plan list, you know? He just he seems to be doing the right things. But was he saved? Was he? Because God gives him a vision. And God says, Hey, I see your prayers and your alms, and they've come up before me. But there's something else you need to hear. There's something more you need to know. So he sends for Peter, and we know what God wanted him to hear. We know what he needed. We know what was missing because of what Peter preaches. So let your eyeballs fall on Acts ten 34. We'll unpack this more next week, but I want to look at it a little bit today. I want to see the message that Peter brought to Cornelius. This is what God said. He wanted him to hear what was missing in his life. So here's Acts ten thirty four. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news, of peace through jesus christ he is lord of all you yourselves know what happened throughout all judea beginning at galilee after the baptism that john proclaimed how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and with power he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil for god was with him and we are witnesses of that that he did both in the country of the jews and in jerusalem but they put him to death by hanging him on the tree But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Look at verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. That was the message he was missing. This Jesus you've heard about, they nailed to a tree. And when they did, he paid for your sins. Now he is risen. And if you believe on his name, on the name of Jesus, you can be forgiven. Yes, Cornelius was devout, God-fearing, generous, praying man. But he didn't have Jesus. And without Jesus, you have no true salvation. Jesus said this, you know this, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And church, can we read this last sentence together? No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Christ, and Christ alone. Now, there, we know this, but do we know it? Because there is a teaching right now that's going out through the country, through the church in America, that says... It's not the object of your faith, it's the sincerity of your faith that saves you. It's not the object of your faith, but the sincerity of your faith. So, if you are a really devout Muslim, Jesus will look down from heaven and see your sincerity, see your devotion, and because of that devotion, then you're going to be saved. If you're really devout in your religious practices, it doesn't matter what you do with Jesus. It just matters how faithful you are and how devout you are. And they'll take it further to say, how can God be good and not see the sincerity of people's faith? Well, here's why. Because the object of your faith matters. And it's not our works that saves us. The Bible says clearly in Acts 2, 8 and 9, sorry, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through church, faith and this is not your own doing as a gift of God not a result of works, so no one may boast he says further in Titus 3 4 and 5 but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit listen faith is only as strong as the object of your faith faith is only as strong as the object of your faith let me illustrate that so we've been working at the house and uh, uh this week i was doing you know some electrical and and so uh there'd be times when we needed just just to get a little higher than i am to be able to reach that fixture or whatever and so sometimes i would just grab whatever was near me to be my stepladder uh, osha probably wouldn't approve but you know i just grabbed something and uh and and uh, I, I didn't i didn't stand on this but uh I brought this from home, but is this something you'd want to stand on? Any volunteers to come up here and stand on this? Yeah, I knew junior high boys would volunteer. I knew they would. Oh, do it. Um, I love you too much to let you do it, okay? I love you too much to put your faith in an object that will never hold your faith. I don't care how sincerely you believe this thing is going to hold you up, it ain't going to hold you up. So can I say a few things that are eh, probably not very popular today? Devout Muslims can't get to heaven without Jesus. Jesus. If you hold to the teaching of the Muslim faith, you do not believe that Jesus is God. You do not believe that he died on the cross and rose again. You don't believe that. You believe that Muhammad was God's prophet and he taught and he wrote his teachings down on the Quran. You follow those faithfully. If you follow those faithfully, then you'll get to heaven. And I'm just telling you right now, Jehovah and Allah are not the same. And Jesus is necessary for salvation. We just read it. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Devout Muslims can't get to heaven without Jesus. How about this? (laughs) Devout Christians can't get to heaven without Jesus. Now, let me use Christians in a very general sense because across our country today there are a lot of Christian denominations and there are a lot that teach some things that just are not in sync with the Word of God. We happen to be October 31st of 2000, was this 21? I almost said 2017. Where am I at? Because in October 31st of 1517, 1517, Martin Luther nailed to the Wittenberg Castle walls 95 Thesis. And he was a priest, and he was on his knees uh, trying to earn his way to heaven through the the, the the working of the church. And as he was doing that, he was reading in his Bible, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith, Romans 1.16, which is really based on Habakkuk 3.5 but the just shall live by faith. And it's like, it's not right to, to believe that I have to do all these works, all these sacraments to get to heaven when it's by faith and faith alone. We know that because Ephesians 2 says this, by grace you have been saved, here again it is, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, and that a result of works so no one can boast. But how about in our Church. Just because you come here and attend here every Sunday, serve in children's ministry or the worship team or whatever else you serve in, just because you do those things doesn't mean you're a believer. And I think there's probably a lot of people in Bible preaching churches this morning that have done something with Jesus, but do they believe I mean, I mean, the, the idea of believe in First Corinthians 15, Paul uses the word receive. He received from the Lord. He's received from the Lord. That idea of receiving is really, really very heavy. So I think, I think we'll tell the gospel to little kids, hey Jimmy, do you want to believe in Jesus? Uh huh. Well then ask him into your heart. Jesus come into my heart. Oh, Jimmy saved. Jimmy saved. He's writing his Bible. Jimmy got saved today. Does Jimmy have a clue what the gospel teaches? I don't know. Maybe, probably not. Because the idea of receive is a very weighty thing. It's a very serious thing. It's used in the Bible several different ways. Let me give you an example. Um, Sarah and Craig, would you guys come here for a second, if you don't mind? And we're going to... I know Sarah loves this. Uh and, and we're gonna we're gonna reenact your wedding day. So you gotta start down here a little bit, Sarah, if you would please. Start down here, maybe halfway down, and Craig and I are yeah, very good. good to remember. And then I think I think that's wrong though. But anyway, uh he's coming down and yeah, there we go. Oh, beautiful. And he comes and you're before me now when we're doing our vows, and Craig is receiving <laughs> does it matter okay all right all right so there we see he's correct he's receiving he's got tears in his eyes you're remembering that day aren't you i knew you're such a sap i love you uh he's receiving sarah into his life receiving sarah into his home it's a very very weighty thing that they're doing thank you guys i pronounce you husband and wife you may kiss the bride. Uh, no, all right, all right. There he goes. I knew it, I knew it. You have to understand and, and, and get deep in your heart. This is what it means to be saved that Jesus, I'm a sinner and I should go to hell because of my sin. But God sent Jesus to die for me. Now, can a little child receive that? I believe he can, I believe it's possible. But I think we've done a lot of things and we haven't really pressed people into that. So it's very possible in our church we have people who have not really received it. And I just want to say that Christianity is exclusive. There's one way. Through faith alone in Christ alone. Say that with me. Through faith alone in Christ alone. That's as simple as it gets. Now why am I so adamant about that this morning? Why am I pressing into that? Here's why. Because we live in a city. By the way, I tried to find a picture. i got two pictures here, one of the Capitol and one of a crowd of people in Fort Wayne. I tried to get a crowd at the Capitol, but every picture had tear gas in it. So I just didn't go down that road. (laughs) Didn't want to put that on the screen this morning. Uh, but uh, I remember v- very clearly one time where Courtney and I took Landon on a special day. This was a long time ago now. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it was. And we took Landon. We took him by train. He loved trains. We took him by train from South Bend to Chicago. We took him to Noodles to get some macaroni and cheese. We took him to the Lego store. It was a great day, a very fun day with Landon James. And um, uh, But I remember walking the streets of Chicago and looking at all the people, and the thought hit me hard every single one of these people are going to stand before God one day. Every single one. Everyone. Do they know Jesus? Every single person you see tomorrow will one day stand before God. Every single one. And they need Jesus. You will stand before God one day. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with him in your life? Have you believed? I just think it's vital for us. I think we can easily excuse our pious neighbors. I think we can easily excuse the religious persons around us and convince ourselves that we don't really need to share the gospel with them. But I'm telling you, let's just assume everyone needs the gospel. You with me on this? Let's assume that. The gospel is exclusive. Really. Christianity is exclusive. But I also want to point this out to you. A second truth that we're going to lay alongside that. second truth is this. Christianity is accessible. Christianity is accessible. So the question one I asked is, why did God give Cornelius a vision? He had to give him the vision because his religion wasn't enough because it was devoid of Jesus and he needed Jesus. That's why. So then why did God give Peter the vision. So Peter has this vision. Let's look at this vision together. Let your eyes fall on verse number 9 of Acts 10, Acts 10, 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop uh, about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw in a vision the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. By the way, how many times did Peter say, By no means, Lord? How many times have I said, By no means, Lord? But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. It would be awesome if Peter got it, but he didn't quite get it because it happened three more times. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Why did God give Peter a vision? Well, it wasn't just because it's okay to eat bacon, though, amen? Peter had prejudices in his life. And those prejudices, based on the law that Christ has now fulfilled, he had prejudices that kept him from effective gospel witness. Now, I want to grab a couple of lessons out of here that I want to encourage us with this morning, if I can, and put before you. And here's a really important lesson that you need to know. We need to embrace as a church this morning. And the lesson is this. God is winning an inheritance of nations for his son. He is an inheritance of nations. Now, I'm getting that phrase specifically from a promise out of Psalm 2. Here's Psalm 2, verse number 8, which says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. And Jesus did, and God is doing that. And we see the fulfillment of that in Revelation chapter 7. Take a look at this, Revelation 7, 9-10. through 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, watch now, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne of uh, uh, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Love it, love it so much. When we're with that multitude of heaven, there is going to be a vast array of ethnicities and colors and languages and all of them giving praise to Jesus Christ for what he has done. And God is about winning an inheritance of nations today. And I think if we're not careful, church, we can begin to believe that we're losing. We can. We can look around the culture around us. and We can look at where we are. And we can get this feeling like, man, we're just losing the battle. And I want to encourage you by saying, we're not losing the battle. We can't lose the battle. I believe with all my heart, the church is winning. I believe with all of my heart, the church is winning. And I believe that based on this verse, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, shall not prevail against it. Come on, the church is winning. And this is why we are working with Modern Shistik in Verazdin, Croatia. And this morning, Modern is standing up in that formal, uh, former, um, uh, Communistic government and all of that. And he's standing up and he's preaching the gospel this morning to people who can hear it. And God is winning people for Jesus. we praying for Maude and he's really close to winning some of the family of his, of his wife. And uh, we're seeing God do some awesome things there. And this is why we're planting a church in Wabash. <laughs> Cause we want everyone to hear. Recently, or not so long ago, I went to Africa and uh, was in situations and circumstances that I never even imagined. And people are coming to know Jesus, and God is winning. And so I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to be charged up by that. But there's another lesson in that that we need to embrace, and I think it's the reason why God gave Peter this vision. So I'll write this down as well. Prejudice has no place in the work of the gospel. Prejudice has no place in the work of the gospel. I love it. Don't you just love it that that it was Peter that God used to do this? If you know the story at all, you got you, you got to love it with me because Peter struggles with this. I mean, he really struggled with this. In fact, so the last, God didn't completely win the battle of his heart here because even later on in his life in Galatians, Paul says he had to come to Peter later and rebuke him to the face because he was eating with some Gentiles. Some Jews walked in, Peter withdraws. And, and, and Paul has to say, dude, that's not right. It's not okay. This is something that Peter struggled with. And yet God chose to use Peter to be the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God chose to use Peter to be that, that particular struggle in his heart. And I love that. And God needs to use us. And, and I wonder this morning what prejudices we have. Now, we can certainly talk about ethnic prejudices, racial prejudices. And that might be, uh, on your heart. And if those things are there, may the Holy Spirit reveal that to you, convict you of that. I believe that, I believe that God wants to reconcile all of that. I do. And I believe that reconciliation happens through the cross. Track with me on this. Like the way to reconcile, I mean, if we're all around the throne and we're all singing about the Lamb, (laughs) that's going to happen in heaven. I'd love to see that happen more in Fort Wayne. Love to see that more and more. But maybe it's not racial prejudice that you struggle with. There are other prejudices. Um, you can pray for me. I sometimes struggle with a social economic prejudice. And here's why I do. I grew up in poverty. I grew up on welfare. And, um, so did my brother and so did my sister. We all did. And I worked hard. I went to school, I got a, you know, a career, I pursued that, and there it is, if I'm not careful in my own heart, an arrogance about that. And an assumption that just because I did it, anybody can do it. Well, there's way too many stories and way too many circumstances and way too many things out there that might hinder someone else from taking the path that I did. And it's not all because they're lazy. And I have to pray and have God help me not to have social, economic prejudices against people just because they haven't done what I did. Is it okay to be that transparent with you this morning? Do we need to be careful about political prejudices? Huge. A temptation that we have. Because we have, I mean, there's some things that I believe politically and I believe them strongly. Can I get a witness? I do. I believe them strongly. But if I'm not careful, I can get into an us versus them mentality. and And attack and be unkind. And as I'm doing that, I'm creating barriers to the gospel. And I don't want to live my life with a Political prejudice. Are there, are there other things that can divide people today? <laughs> Do you have any opportunity to be divided over certain issues today? Can we just start listening stuff? Lots of reasons that we can put you on the other aisle of somebody else, on the other side of somebody else. And all of a sudden, there are just all of these frustrations and us versus them and these things going on. And what do we do with all of that? How do we handle all of that? You know, the Bible gives us some help with that. In fact, if you study this out, uh, Paul was dealing with some of this in his day. And back in that day, what it was is uh, the the meat offered to idols. Can you eat it or not? Because, because in the marketplace, there'd be all this meat that was out there, and, and instead of going to Target, Courtney and I would go to the marketplace instead, and there'd be these meats that are laid on tables, and we'd go to buy this, just you know, some beef, and, and, and take it home to cook it, and, and that beef may have been offered to a false idol. And the, some Christians were like, you can't eat that. You cannot eat that. That was offered to a false god. Why would you ever eat that? And some Christians were like, no, dude, man, it's alright, we can eat anything. We can even eat bacon. Isn't that awesome? I mean, so anything's open to us right now. And, and so there was this contention. Some people said, don't eat the meat offered to idols. And some people say, no, it's okay to eat that meat. And they were fighting about controversial issues. So what do you do when there are controversial issues that are that are putting you at odds with other people? Well, here's Paul's instruction to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Watch this carefully now. So whether you eat, this is in context now? This is the context of it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, read it with me, do all to the glory of God. I'm going to read that again. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, see it with me now, do all to the glory of God. Look where it goes in verse 32. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks. Say, don't be offensive. Don't handle yourself in an offensive way. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You tracking with us now? What should dictate the way in which I handle the controversial issues that are at play today? What should be the thing that is permeating my heart? It should be, I want them to know Jesus. Because if you win someone to your political views and they don't have Jesus, where are they going? If you win someone to your side of the vaccine debate and they don't have Jesus, where are they going? If you win someone to the, your side of the mask debate, and they don't know Jesus, where are they going? Okay, so I'm not going to let the other things crowd out the thing that is vitally important, and that is the gospel. And I'm not saying that we let go of our views, because some of those views are held because of biblical reasons. What I am saying is that the way in which we hold our views has to have a light to what am I doing, what am I saying, how am I acting, and how will that impact their coming to know Jesus? You guys still love me? Are we still okay? Can I still be your pastor? All right. I'm just trying to lead and shepherd our church. Church, I want the main thing to be the main thing. That's what I want. And I don't want us to get divided about the enemy loves to do this. Man, the churches I grew up in, it was dress code and hymns versus contemporary Christian music. Wicked CCM. That was the churches I grew up in. The church was divided about those things. And so we weren't on about the main thing. And these are just another thing to be divided about. And I'm saying, let's just, let's just do this. Let's Preach the gospel. And here's a question for you. What dictates your thinking the most? As you were functioning in life, as you're out and about life, what is dictating your thinking the most? I, I want it to be this. What am I doing? How am I acting? What am I saying? And how does that impact my preaching of the gospel? What might be some controversial, or how might some of these controversial topics get in the way of our sharing the gospel? And how does a church live to make the gospel alone our main passion? And that's what I'm after. And we need help with that. And we need to seek God with that. Because the reality is the gospel is accessible to all. And we want all to know. Can I get a witness? You guys okay with being done four minutes early? All right, fine, I'll keep preaching. I know, all right. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and your goodness. And we need your help. God, we need your help with all these things. And I love my church so much. And I love my people so much. And I love this calling so much. I just feel so much, Father, that I'm pulling on all sides to try to bring us back to biblical truth. And I would pray that you would always help us to make the Bible our guide and our boundary. And also, Father, to make um, the gospel our number one passion. And so, Father, give us clarity of thought. Give us wisdom. Help us to love people well, no matter where they are. And I want to be a place that just is marked by incredible love, acts of love. Intentional love. We also want to be a place, Father, marked by truth. They would never capitulate in the exclusivity of the message. People need Jesus. And nothing else will do but Jesus. Father, give us that solid foundation beneath our feet. And we'll give you the praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, okay, three minutes. You are loved.